Good morning, church. Thank you for your giving. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. We're glad you chose to make us your church home for an hour today. Turn with me over to the book of Matthew. Today we're going to talk about um, more about who we are. So last week we had a discussion about who we were, and uh, this week we're going to do the same so you understand why we do what we do, and it makes sense to you on a regular basis. We're going to leverage a few scriptures. Most of the time, as you know, when I preach, I choose one passage out of which I make an entire message. But today we're going to talk about the foundational principles, our values, that help us be who we are. Um, They're kind of the pillars of our house. And indeed, the, the title of the message today is The Pillars of the House. Pillars of the House. In order to understand this best, you have to understand the prior messages that we preached. One, we keep telling you about our vision. Our vision is to help win this city. We're not trying to just build a large church. We're trying to do something that coalesces a very equipped people that can go out and help win the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. Now, we have no delusions of grandeur that make us believe we can do it on our own. We're too small, and we will never be large enough on our own to do that. Um, but we need the rest of the body of Christ in order to make it happen, the rest of the church in the metropolitan area. Yet, we must do our part. And so our vision is much bigger than ourselves. We want to see the city bow its knee to Jesus Christ, hopefully, before I breathe my last. Um, I'm planning to live until about 120, so we do have some time. No, seriously, in the next 30 years, my hope would be we'd see significant progress toward that end. Uh, Secondly, our mission, which is to help facilitate our vision. We want to encounter Christ, to experience community, and then next to extend his kingdom. Those three things in our mission help us fulfill our vision. To encounter the biblical Jesus, to experience the community that he said he was building, I will build my church, and then to take the church as the institution, the vehicle through which he wishes to extend his kingdom to people that don't know anything about who he is. That helps us win the city. But there are some things underneath that allow us the privilege of understanding how we do it. And these are our five values. One, lordship. Two, evangelism. Three, discipleship. Four, leadership development. And five, family. Lordship lets us know who we serve, who is God. Evangelism says we need to get other people to serve him. How in the world can we help in the process of targeting folks who don't know anything about Jesus? Third, discipleship helps us let those people know how they need to serve him, not just who he is, but how they need to do it through disciplined following. Four, it lets us become leaders so that folks can follow our example so that they just don't have to reinvent the wheel. And five, the people to whom they get to join, family. These five things allow us to know what the, pillar, what the everyday responsibilities look like, the pillars of our, our foundation, they give us the privilege of doing our mission well to complete our vision. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. We're going to read through verse 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lord, help us as we study your word. As a result of having five points that do not find themselves in one passage of scripture, today we're going to look at five different scriptures that amplify the points that are most important to our pillars of foundation. This one here talks about the lordship of Christ. Lordship is something that is not, it's not a word that democratic societies throw around a lot because we believe in an egalitarian world whereby we elect people who are just like us to serve in office and we don't think there's anything in their blood that's different than our blood. There's no blue blood in them that allows them the privilege of inheriting that place of leadership. We elect them to that place. We allow them to serve for a period of time and then if we don't like it, we can vote them out. Yet in monarchical societies, lordship is huge. They realize that there is a sense of calling that the person has for leadership. And even when there is democracy that is present, i.e. England, they still have a monarchy. I'm not trying to presuppose that one system is worse than the other. I'm just describing them to you. The people in England understand something about what it means to serve somebody who is a monarch. We don't. We've departed from that for a long period of time, so we have to be re-educated about what it means for Jesus to be Lord. We understand the other part of his function in our life, and that's Savior. We really like that part. We love the idea that he can come and deliver us from the stuff into which we've got ourselves. Help me out of this. And not just the stuff into which we've got ourselves that we did wrong. Help me in the things that I can't control. Like, I got a boss that doesn't like me. And they seem to be wanting to promote everybody else around me. And, and, and they, they don't seem to have it out for me. I haven't done anything wrong that dismisses me from their service. But I'm, I seem to be stuck. And God, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't quit because I need the money. But I need your help. Save me from this. Help me to be promoted. Lord, my spouse, they just don't get it. I need them to get it. But remember, they're saying the same thing about you. They just don't get it. Help me. Save my marriage. Save me in my relationship with my child. When, I, when they were four, they thought I was a genius. Now that they're 16, they think I'm an idiot. Oh, God, please save this. Help me here. Deliver me from this situation. I'm not trying to get away from them. I just don't like that which we find ourselves in. Help me. Lord, deliver me from my sickness. Deliver me from my selfishness. We have things we cannot control. And there are, there are moments where we're crying out and we are grateful that our God is a, is a deliverer. One who will save. And indeed, we as Christians love the fact that he took the, the punishment that we should deserve as a result of our disobedience. That our sin is not that which is going to be held against us for all of eternity. That he actually took our whooping. He became the substitutionary benefit for us. That we could now find life rather than death. Our portion is eternal life. Not suffering for everything we've done wrong. He died in our stead. And he rose on our behalf. We can have eternal life. We love that version of salvation. That we've actually got a place in heaven. Wow. All the things that God does to save us. Hip hip hooray. We worship you for it. But that lordship thing, I don't know. He is Savior and Lord. He's not just Savior. In fact, his, his ability to save is a function of his lordship. The fact that he is God means he can save you from stuff. And all we want is a benefit. 
We don't want the title or the function of his godness in our life. But he's worthy of our attention like that. He who saved you did it because he loved you. Not because he was just obligated to. He cared. And the God of the universe thinks that much of you. He is deserving of your obedience, of your respect. He's deserving of your knee being bowed. He is Lord. And even if he had not done that, hear me, if you receive no benefit from any of his life actions, because he is God, he deserves your respect because he created you. He is God Almighty. And that he doesn't withdraw the breath from your lungs as a result of your disobedience ought to make you so thankful that every day after you get out of bed you bow your knee to him. That ought to be benefit enough. Your life may not be going well. I get it. It's not being scripted as you had had written down. I understand. But when it comes to whether he needs to be the one who is responsible blaming him for what has happened in your life and thereby you not giving him the respect he deserves because you don't think he's treated you fairly, just remember, is a really good option. It's not, it's not an entitlement. It's a privilege. And the fact that he lets you wake up every day should remind you on a, on a regular basis of how much he cares about you and the mercy that has been extended to you and the judgment that has not. Because all of us, being sinners, having done wrong on a repeated basis and really become well-versed at it, are worthy of death. Every one of us should not be breathing anymore just for the stuff we did before we came to church today. And he has overlooked our transgressions. Because his son took the benefit of, of, took the consequences of our misdeeds upon himself. He's overlooked it. And because of it, we still breathe. I've taken a good six minutes to describe why he is worthy of your complete devotion as Lord. Not just your gratefulness as Savior. Jesus says, not many who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Obedience is important because it reflects how much you believe his lordship is active in your life. This passage is not talking about, it's not explaining how somebody gets to heaven. Heaven is a spot. And as a result of what Jesus did on the cross, and only that, can we get to glory. We can't do anything that makes us worthy of being saved. We can't save ourselves. There's no good deed you can do to wipe out all of your bad. There's no great act that can be performed that erases all of your sinful life. Everything that we have done, still, if Christ had not died, would still cry out as being that which would demand that the gavel of heaven sound on the bench guilty. So there's nothing we can do. The only way we can get to glory is if somebody pays the price for us, and Jesus did that. Can't work for it. Do not earn it. Cannot deserve it. Jesus gives it to us. And if you've given your heart to him, you have a place in glory. It's beautiful. 
Heaven is a spot. But the kingdom of heaven is much larger than heaven. Heaven is where God lives. And it is blissful and, and beyond belief great because he is there. That's the only reason. And when we die, when we pass from this earth, we get to go there if you've given your heart to him. It's a beautiful spot. But the kingdom of heaven is much larger than heaven. In fact, when Jesus came to the earth, after he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the enemy and conquered those temptations, he came and the first thing he said was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It did not mean that everything that was in heaven came to earth. It simply meant that a man who was bearing the benefits of the kingdom was now on the planet. And he could bring those benefits to other people. Life was still functioning just as it always had been for everybody else. Except now, an an ambassador of the kingdom was on the planet. And he was there to bring kingdom wherever he went. We are all supposed to be those kinds of ambassadors. Not only representing the kingdom, but benefiting from the kingdom. And here Jesus is talking about what it means to enter into the kingdom here. If we were to describe it somewhat, you remember in your elementary school or junior high history lessons where it talked about the empire of Britain, the British Empire. And it was said in historical ways that there was a time in which the the sun never set on the British Empire. Though we know that the seat of the British Empire was in England. But it was represented in India. And it was represented in America. And it was represented in other places. Wherever they could find earth, they tried to extend their version of kingdom. But we know that the original spot was in England. Same principle. That the original spot is heaven. But God wishes to extend his kingdom all over the earth. Until he can make the entire earth look like that. Now, I don't know that any of us are going to be good enough, even as an aggregate, a collective, to be able to bring whatever is there perfectly here. But Jesus thought it was so important that we focus on that, that the prayer that he taught us to pray emphasizes it first. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? How? God wants everything that is there to be here. When most Christians are trying to figure out only how to get there. So I don't think we can bring it in the kind of manifestation that is seen there because none of us are that good. So when he comes back, ultimately, it will be established in some way. I got a whole bunch of pieces of the puzzle that I'm trying to fit together. I don't have a clear picture, but I do know this. It's going to be a whole lot better than what we got now. Whole lot better. Infinitely better than what we got. You don't have to work hard to get better than what we got now. But our job is to work it until we can get the best we can of whatever is there here. And that's why we work so hard in church. Because this is supposed to be the one spot that is to have the greatest concentration of kingdom principles on the earth. And I'm not talking about Grace Covenant. I'm talking about the church in general. Wherever the church is represented, it is to be the greatest concentration of kingdom principles on the planet. When we build church here, we're not just thinking about religious community. We're thinking embassy. Are you listening to me? We're thinking embassy. We're thinking we want to be a place where you walk in 
And all you do is experience kingdom that you can't experience in your workplace. A concentration of righteousness. A concentration of forgiveness. A concentration of understanding and, 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 and patience and, and, and kindness and generosity and healing and health and soundness of mind and power and miracles. We want that to be this because that's why God established his church to be an embassy on the planet. I don't know why you're not getting this as good as I'm preaching it. I don't know. <laughs> but it just doesn't feel like it's sinking in like, like I'm trying to say it. If you go, listen, if you go to France and you go into the American embassy, you will not find a croissant. <laughs> I know you're in France, but you ain't going to find a croissant. There's not even going to be a French baker in there. You're going to find whatever nasty food that is American. <laughs> Because their goal is to present all that is America there. Now, it's a poor example. But we are not supposed to bring anything from out there and here. No selfishness. No immorality. No greed. No malice. No unrighteous anger. None of that is supposed to be in here. And we're not talking about putting on masks. We're talking about developing the character that comes from Christ being Lord. Because we're obeying every day. And that's what produces kingdom. When people begin to act as if he is Lord of their life functionally, live like it, they become emissaries of it. And wherever they go, they, they, they kind of affect the environment and bring the kingdom to a place where it doesn't exist. And Jesus said, if you don't obey, you're not going to be able to be that emissary, nor are you going to be able to enter into it here. My household, Cynthia and I have our problems, and most of them are me. (laughs) She's a saint. That woman is the best Christian I know. I'm telling you, she's the best Christian I know. She, 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 lo- she loves God like nobody else I know. She has a high standard of integrity like nobody else I know. And she just lives it constantly. I'm so grateful to be able to have her as mine. And because she is who she is and because we partner together, she helps me in my weakness. But together we're able to produce something of a household that allows for kingdom to be expressed in extraordinary ways. There's nothing about our household that's perfect. But when I walk in, I experience kingdom. My children love me, even though they know me. (laughs) They love me. They respect me. And when you can get adult children to still like to hear what you got to say, that's the grace of God. I mean, you know that you've said and done things that require them to be on somebody's psychiatric couch. You know you've done that. You've done that. But they still love you. We pray, we worship, and please do not relegate my house because I am a pastor to being so unusual that you can never produce it in your house. It doesn't have anything to do with calling. It has to do with lordship. We regard him as our Lord and consider it our privilege that he has called us to serve him regardless of whether it's full time with a salary. It's just, you wanted me? You chose me? Oh, thank you. 
what can I do to serve you, my God? How can I make you smile every day? When I lay my head on the pillow, my goal for the last 24 has been to bring a smile to the heart of God. To make sure that he's grinning from ear to ear over what has been done in my life today. And that requires us to do beyond just the, the ordinary. I was sleeping. <clears throat> uh, I was taking a nap on the couch on my off day. and I heard the vacuum cleaner running. Now, Cynthia was at a hair appointment. My daughter, Brooke, was at school. My other kids were all over, but Grant was in the house. Grant was 14, my baby. And my brain just didn't work. I said, that that can't be the vacuum cleaner because Grant's here. (laughs) Grant's here. That can't be the vacuum cleaner. And you know, you're foggy when you wake up. You just, what? What is, what is, did Cynthia come home and I don't know it? I looked around and Grant was vacuuming. I got up. I said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, well, well what, are you do- what are you doing? He said, I'm vacuuming. I said, I can see that. What are you doing? He said, well, I just thought I'd help Mama out so she didn't have anything to clean up when she came home. I looked at him. I said, I love you, boy. I hugged him with one of those long, uncomfortable hugs. Dad, you can stop now. Uh Uh-uh, I ain't stopping. And immediately, I couldn't even stop it. A smile came to my face. When do you do the unexpected for God? When it's hard enough just to get him to get you to do the expected. When do you do the unexpected? Is he your Lord? Love him like that. The benefits are this, that you get, you get unusual access. When you obey, you get unusual access. He says, not many will say to me, Lord, uh, not many who call me Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Didn't we perform many miracles? Didn't we prophesy in your name? I'll tell them, I don't, don't know who you are. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were trying to prove how worthy they were of his respect by what they did in terms of the miraculous. But it's, it's, a, whole lot, it's a whole lot like when my uh, seven-year-old Joseph, who's now 32, 33, whatever, he's old. <laughs> He came to me and, and um, he, he brought me my, first time he was cognizant of buying me a gift for my birthday and it was socks and underwear. He and mama went out and got it. He was so happy. I mean, he was so happy. Couldn't believe it. And I just, gave, I, I took it. I said, oh boy, I'm so proud of you. This is great. It's so wonderful. It's wonderful. It's just great. Thank you so much. And I praised him and he walked away and he was really excited. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me during that moment. He said, you know, you do this to me all the time. I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know. So after my moment at cake and ice cream went upstairs, I said, God, what do you mean I do this to you? He said, yeah, when you go on a missions trip, you come back and you offer me a gift. He said, you like that, God? You like that? 
And I always hug you and say, yeah, that was great, son. You built an orphanage. You did this. You did that. Great. Treat you just like you treated him. The only difference between you and him is that you realize I gave you the ability to do it. He has no idea. You gave him the money to buy your own gift. <laughs> he was seven. He didn't have a job. These guys were coming to Jesus. Did we not prophesy in your name? To which Jesus would say, well, whose name did you prophesy in? You mean you want me to be impressed that I gave you the ability to say what I needed to say to people in my name? When you cast out that devil, was it in the name of Tom or Jesus? So you want me to be impressed that I gave you the power to cast out a devil when it was me who gave you the power to do it? You want me to be impressed when I, you laid hands on somebody and you said, in Jesus' name, be healed. You want me to be impressed that I gave you the power to be able to do that? No. What I wanted you to do, you didn't do. And you're replacing the, the supernatural, the big stuff. You're trying to replace the little stuff with the big stuff. I wanted you to be faithful to your wife. I wanted you to love people. I wanted you to, to provide for the poor. I wanted you to care for the orphan. I wanted you to live right and not be selfish. I wanted you to give your life for the benefit of many. No, you decided to use ministry instead of obedience. I can't figure you out. I don't know who you are. Oh, I recognize your name, but I can't figure you out. And then we think we ought to be known by God because we know him. But you can't know God fully. Impossible. He's infinite. We're finite. Whatever you know of him is a little bit. And you ought to be grateful for the little bit. And the little bit makes us go, wow, that's amazing. And after walking with him for 38 years, I know a lot of little. But it's just a little. And I am blown away with the more he gives me all the time, thinking, well, you're amazing. I didn't love it, but it's still a little. And we know God like we know celebrities. We, we've seen him act. We've seen him play on the court. seen him do stuff on the field. We've heard him talk. We understand him to be these amazing human beings. And when we see him on the street, it's one of these, that's Daryl Green. That's Charles Mann. That's Mark Rippon. That's Tom Brady. And we don't even say Mr. Mann. We call them by their first name. And we think we know them. But we don't know them. And we think because we know them, they ought to give us access. But try coming to their house for dinner the same night. <laughs> Knocking on the door. I saw you play the other day. It was outstanding. You did such a great job. I wonder, can I come in for dinner? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know you. The way you get access to God is not because you know him. It's because he knows you. How does he get to know you? Not just by name recognition, but by intimacy, by obedience. Lordship. You can't just call his name as Lord. You got to live it. We believe this as a value for us as a people. It's core Obedience is core, not to be saved, to be right. To be people that can be right with God every day and to help others know what it's like to live in the midst of the kingdom. Boy, 
I have preached my entire message on this one point. I need to stop. I don't know what else to do. I can't. I, I just. I just got it. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we do Your will to try to figure out how to best serve You and represent You to the community. We acknowledge You and honor You as Lord. We thank You for giving us the privilege of being able to call You not just Lord, but our Lord. To identify with you like that, you've called us your own.